from now we'll all be gone all our friends will move away and they're going to better places but our friends will be gone away nothing is as it has been and I miss your face like hell and I guess it's just as well but I miss your face like hell Good morning. Happy Friday. It's the head and the heart. What's up, everybody? How you doing? Good morning. Welcome to the morning show. It's Friday. Everyone is uh, having the best day. They could possibly have on this September 4th. So congrats to everyone. You're doing great. Congrats. Uh, let's see. Detroit Dabber says, I missed your face like hell, Jimmy. No show yesterday. Appreciate you. Not yelling at me? I don't know. Thanks. Uh, tired, though. Thought I was going to be able to do it. Couldn't. Uh, let me see. Let me see. Good morning to Josh. Don't forget the intro. Welcome to the morning show. Bite-sized bits of everything I enjoy. Music. Uh, we talk about a random town. See what rabbit hole that leads to. Random baseball player. Check out their story. And then on uh, Fridays, we do documentaries. Otherwise, we do books, usually poems. Good morning to Kevin, Steve, to Vinny, Serena, Norm, BRTW. I'm going to call you Brit... To, to Steve, Dylan, Kevin, how's everyone doing? Um, ooh, someone in the Facebook chat said, bro, I grew up on Windermere by Sarah Adams. Freaked me out for a second. Ah, I thought you grew up in the town we're talking about. That's cool. North Dakota on Facebook. Justin, Callan, Dylan, what's going on? Todd, Father, Enrique, hope you're feeling good, dude. Uh, morning from South Australia, Josh Harkin. Where are you, Josh? Adelaide? Adelaide? Uh, Kyle, Periscope, morning. How's everyone doing? All right. We got producer Anthony helped with uh, the research today. Help lighten the load here on morning show. So I'm excited about that. We did a little bit together. The first thing we did, oh, coming out today, talking baseball, waking Jake, talking Giants, talking Yanks, maybe other stuff. I I did that real quick because uh, I had this set. I had this whole thing set up Wednesday to record so I could have a pre-recorded Thursday show. But then by the time I got it all set up, 
first pitch was 15 minutes uh, away, and I was like, I can't do a show in 15 minutes. So we didn't. Thanks, Head in the Heart. Head in the Heart's first album is so good. I'm not the biggest fan of the rest of their stuff. Their first album, though, is so good. I love it from start to finish. Uh, all right. Town today is Windmere, North Dakota. It's 69 degrees, cloudy. That's some nice weather. I would enjoy that. Windmere, North Dakota. Cloudy. How about that? Uh, all right, so Ant and I went through Windmere, North Dakota. We went through the Wikipedia we Googled it. I did everything I do to find out about Towns. And someone asked, do you think the Yanks will win the pennant? No. And uh, this town's pretty boring, guys. So it's South East North Dakota. And it's tiny. It's like a tiny little square. Here we come. Like This is another one where we could count the amount of roads in it. Easily, huh? Wow. All right. It's like a it's like a perfect grid. So we got one uh we'll go down first. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Going across one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Oh, my God. We're looking at sub-25 roads in this town. That's crazy small. Crazy small. If you're a little kid and there's other little kids your age, seems like an awesome town because you just it's a perfect grid. You just ride your bike to and fro. They got a takeout ice cream place. Looks like probably someone's garage that they just sell ice cream. They got a baseball field. This town is a neighborhood in most towns. Crazy small. Yeah, so we couldn't find anything in this place. So what we did was, the rabbit hole it took us down was, there's this dude in the notable people, his name is Hans Langseth. Hans Langseth. Oh, here's some quick facts. Founded in 1883, named after Windmere, England. The population in 2010 was 429 people. Majority of the population are over the age of 25. And 30% were from 45 to 65. So there goes my dream about it being a little kid town. Enrique called it a 10 by 10 town. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> 10, 10, 10 across, 10, 10 uh, up and down. Or across, I'm not, whatever. Uh, all right, so Hans Nilsson Langseth. He's not from Windmere, actually. I think he just died there. Longest beard in recorded history. How about that? Longest beard in recorded history. Let's go and Google him. Pretty gross. Jack Passion ain't got shit on this dude. There he is. In all his glory. Longest beard in recorded history. Looks like we have tufts of his beard. That's disgusting. Oh, my God. 
Ew. Ew. This is a picture of people jumping rope with his hair. Ew. No way. So, Ant was telling me a little bit about this because he did the original research. Whoa, okay. Now we got Nazi stuff in our face. So, this dude... Hans, he began sporting a beard in order to compete in local beard growing contests, as anyone who ever grows a beard does. No one knows if he won or not. Uh, well, you know, his Wikipedia says longest beard in recorded history, so I'd take it that he won. Seems like a huge win. As the beard hair can only grow about five feet before dying off, he tangled the dead hair together in a coil so it would never shed. And that's how he kept the terminal length from never happening. A physical and forensic anthropologist told the Smithsonian Magazine that the beard itself acts as a kind of timeline for Langsith's life. The brown parts represent his youth, while the yellowed parts represent his older years. Interesting. Yeah, you kind of have like... Like if you look at the bottom of the beard, you're like, yeah, that's... Uh, that's from my twenties. And then as you go up, you get older. Gross. You have to be a little eccentric to do this. Hunt told the Smithsonian. You think, Hunt? You think? You think you got to be a little eccentric to coil your dead beard hair so it stays growing long? Look. Um. Langseth rolled his beard around a corn cob and carried it in a pouch around his neck. What? And then girls jumped rope with it. There are unclarified... (laughs) There are unverified claims that Langseth died by stepping on his beard and breaking his neck. I'll go ahead and verify that that didn't happen right now for everyone. (laughs) The dude didn't step on his beard and break his neck. That's a great story, though. According to his children, his final wish was to have his beard cut off and stored for posterity. Before his casket was buried, his son cut off his father's beard, with which Langseth had identified for most of his life. After being tucked away in the attic for too long, the son donated the beard to the Smithsonian Institute, where it was displayed as part of the museum's physical anthropology exhibition all the way up until 1991. How old was he when he died? Ew. That was all pretty gross. He was born in Aidsville, emigrated to the United States in 1867. He began growing the beard at 19. So that hair at the very bottom is from when he was 19 years old. That is kind of crazy. Uh, He traveled around the United States as part of a freak show. He died at 81. So he had he had he had beard hair from 19 to 81. Talk about a keepsake. He died in Windmere, North Dakota. When he died, his beard was me- measured at 17 feet. No fucking way. 17 feet. Do you know how long that is? 
It's almost two basketball hoops high. Like if he sat on top of the rim, his beard would touch the ground. And then and then you could lay down a seven-footer. Okay, so here's the visual. He's sitting on the rim. His beard's flowing to the ground. And then you have Shaq laying from the baseline. And then his beard L's and is longer than Shaq, basically. How come you guys didn't take that picture? Beard people? It's fucking probably a bestseller. Here's a website in a different language. <laughs> Uh, record back blit at velchent sin i bokler verden over. Boka or i dag verden stoste in samler av verden shrikov. Ag favner om det mesti. Finally, the Norwegians have a show they can listen to in the morning. Gross. I think I think so. That's the rabbit hole that uh, Windmere took us down, which is pretty gross. And that's all I have to say about that. Next up, baseball player of the day is Thurman Tucker. Thurman Tucker. He was a center fielder. He played nine seasons with the Chicago White Sox and the Cleveland Indians. Three sport athlete in high school. He had a weird nickname. I was weirded out by his nickname, and his nickname was Joe E which didn't make sense to me because that's a name. And dude had a name. You know what I'm saying? Like his name was Thurman Tucker and his nickname was Joey. I was like, how did that happen? Well, they say he looked like Joey Brown, who was a comedian of the time. And you know what? He did look like Joey Brown. I will show you. Well, let me show y'all what I found here. Look, oh, how do I, how do I show? Okay, goodbye. Okay, that didn't work either. Um, that didn't work. None of this is working. Uh, what do I need to do here? Okay. Bam! Say goodbye to me. There he is. They do look alike. Joe E. So that was his nickname. Joe E. Brown. That's Joe E. Brown. That's him. That's me and him. They look alike. I get it. One of his one it says here that one of his minor league one of his minor league coaches wanted him to take up clowning because he looks so much like Joe E. Brown. One manager asked him to take up clowning due to his resemblance to Joey Brown and his nickname as a result, uh, and Tucker objected because he said, no, I'm a baseball player, so I don't need to be a clown. (laughs) As my baseball coach, kind of a weird request for you to ask me to take up clowning, trying to really work on my baseball skills, coach, if you don't mind. So he didn't take up clowning, much to everyone's chagrin. Partway through the 1943 season, Tucker's performance caught the eye of American League President Will Harridge, who noted him as someone the public came to watch 
in the absence of stars serving in World War II. So he's a really good replacement player. Congrats. Among Tucker's achievements during 1943 was a walk-off home run on July 26th to win a game against the New York Yankees 2-1. And he was traded to the Indians. The Indians regarded Tucker as the finest defensive player in all of baseball. After retiring, he became an insurance agent. Oh, that blows. Wow. And then he became the Houston Astros' first scout. Probably hated being an insurance agent. You want me to just go watch baseball and tell you if a guy's good or bad? Sure. Easy. Sell insurance? No, thank you. Please don't make me do that. Let's look at his baseball reference. So we got... He did not play in 1945. He was an all-star in 1944. War. Uh, war season all-star. When was that? When was that walk-off they said against the Yankees? Two to one. Uh, 19, July 26, 1943. Let's go to that game. 1943. In 1943, he was 25 years old. July 26. July 26. July. Holy smokes. If you think people are playing a lot of doubleheaders now. Look at this stretch. Look at this stretch of games. Um, from July 4th to July 25th, he played two games on July 4th, two games on July 5th, Two games on July 10th, two games on July 11th, two games on the 17th, two games on the 18th, two on the 21st, two on the 23rd, two on the 24th, two on the 25th. <laughs> Holy shit. So in 21 days, how many games did he play in 21 days? There were some off days there, so I'm going to help him. 23 games in 21 days, but there are some with some off days. That's insane. So the walk-off was July, when did I say it was? July 26th. But they lost that game. That would be July 25th. Okay. This is the game where you got a walk-off hit. The White Sox had a worse record than the Yankees. They It was played on grass. It was a one-hour and 35-minute game. Jesus. Uh some names, we got Wally Moses, Thurman Tucker, Guy Cutright, Luke Appling, Ralph Hodgen, Don Colloway, Joe Kuehl, Mike Tresh, Frankie Roy, Bud, Charlie, Nick, Joe, Bill, Snuffy, Sternweiss, Pinch Ran, Snuffy and Tiny Bonham, Bonham, Snuffy. Snuffy's real name was George Henry. Why'd they call him Snuffy? Snuffy. One of the victims would okay. Ooh, on the more whoa. Okay, tough opening paragraph. Um, Jesus Christ, Jill, the death pod comes back at us. The first paragraph. I'm just looking at him to find out why his nickname was Snuffy. And the first thing we find is that he was on a train that ran off the tracks, plummeted, and everyone died, and he was on it. God damn it. 
Why'd they call him Snuffy? The Yankees assigned Sternweiss to the Norfolk Tars. The Sporting News, it was here that Sternweiss was first dubbed Snuffy. The paper reported that upon arriving in Newark, he produced a ray of tobacco products. After watching him stuff his mouth with chewing tobacco and light up a stogie, teammate Hank Majeski quipped, What? No snuff? Since then, the paper noted he has been Snuffy the Bear. All right, cool. Tobacco-fueled nickname. And Tiny was 6'2 and 215 pounds, so maybe this was an, uh, an ironic thing. Tiny Boehm's name was actually Ernest. Um, he was known as Tiny, though he was anything but. Ironic nickname because he was 6'2 and weighed 200 pounds. A torso like a blacksmith. A torso like a blacksmith? Blacksmiths have notoriously large torsos? Is that a thing? Why would you need a big torso to be a blacksmith? Let's just Google image blacksmith and check out the size of these torsos. I'm not sure. I'm not sure why blacksmiths, why you would say he has a torso like a blacksmith. But I'm not up to date on a lot of things, you know? So I guess that's my bad. Torso like a blacksmith. So where's our dude? He, uh, what's his name? Thurman Tucker. He had a home run off tiny blacksmith torso, dude. In the top of the ninth to win the game. 1-1 one, one was the score. He had a home run. Congrats to him. Good job by him. Because blacksmiths got to be strong as hell. They hammer all day. But I done that up. But he would. They're not saying he was, like, strong. You guys are saying that blacksmiths are strong. They didn't say he was strong. They said he was fucking big. I've seen some blacksmiths in my day. Oh, look at him. Here he is. There's Tiny. I'm Googling it. Torso like a blacksmith. I'm going to see if it comes up anywhere else on the internet. Legendary. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the pictures that come up are just like, uh, like a, like a, <laughs> you guys can't see these. Um, all right. There he is. There's your, got that guy. <laughs> Look at these pictures that come up. Uh, we're just in a we're just in a weird rabbit hole of of like sexy torso photo shoots. No, sexy blacksmith. I'm out. I'm out on this. You ever heard the saying, torso like a blacksmith? I'm living it, baby. 
See, the chat would say that you don't have a torso like a blacksmith because they're saying it's a strong thing. But I think they use it as... I mean, there's a lot of power. There's just this layer... This layer of Sanjay Gupta around it. Uh, it's just water weight, though. Yeah. One good sweat. You sweat that right off. One good sweat. Okay. Victorious. Whoa. Don't tell them. Okay. All right. Jake has cultivated mass for his blacksmith upglow. Jake wouldn't last a day as a blacksmith. Hey. A day. Just cough and wheeze. An hour. And <laughs> Jake has the over-under as an hour. Um, okay. I think that's the rest. I think that's the end of Thurman Tucker. And that's all I have to say about that. We're moving on to documentary. I don't know if I talked about this because I feel like I watched this back when I started the morning show in May, but I don't know how many people are have watched, whatever. Lewis and Clark, I read the book, so I think we've done some stuff from the book before. The documentary by Ken Burns, it's like a two-parter, so I think it's two hours long. It's so good. It makes the story so much cooler than what you think you know about the Lewis and Clark expedition. Just so much cooler. Uh, and there's this cool uh, part of the documentary where they talk about when they finally make it back. And the Lewis and Clark expedition was like, it was, like, it was, it was crazy. Uh, they took 40 people across the continent um, for two years. 40 people across the continent for two years. Only one person died, and it was of uh, like food poisoning or natural... I think it was food poisoning or sickness. It wasn't hostility. They met up with so many different native tribes, um, grizzly bears, uh, elements. They had to, like, carry everything up waterfalls. Then they made it all the way to, um, you know, Oregon and got snowed in, and they had to set up camp for the winter and stuff, and only one person died. It's, like, the most miraculous uh, thing that they did it. And when they came back after two years, everyone just thought they had died besides Jefferson. And Jefferson sent them on this um, because, was it Lewis was his secretary and he thought he was good? Anyway, crazy, crazy mission. The whole story of it is cool. Sacagawea part's cool. Like, did you know that? Um, I forget which one, Lewis or Clark, like adopted Sacagawea's kids after she passed away. And he like raised them as his kids, kind of. Like, I didn't know that part. Anyway, the coolest part is that Jefferson was like this. Jefferson was like this big forward thinker. Uh, like he had the ideas for airplanes before, like that was close to existing, and he had the idea for steamboats before that was close to existing. I I think, uh, and he sent them on there, and he said, "Hey, if you see any animals, send those my way too. Let's see if we get any new creatures." And the amount of new creatures that Lewis and Clark found is is like a crazy list that like had never been seen before. Prairie dogs, they saw, like, fields of prairie dogs, and they, like, spent a whole day of the journey just trying to capture one. They dug in a prairie hole six feet, but they couldn't find prairie dogs. So then they said, all right, we'll flush one out. So they would go back to the river, get buckets of water, and pour them down the holes. Buckets of water, pour them down the holes. Spent a whole day until they finally flushed one out, trapped it, caged it, and sent it back to Jefferson. Like, check out this shit we found. Jefferson was like, okay, cool. Uh, prairie dog. It made it. They made the trip. So 
there's this scene in the documentary or this part. Um, sometimes I just want to be part of the chat. What are you guys talking about? Forget. I'm out of it. Anyway, uh, where is it? I have it queued up, kind of. Where there's this scene, and all, all the historians are getting are nerding out, just like I I would be, about um, when they finally made it back, and they had this big s- ceremony. Every town that the the guys Lewis and Clark and the expedition like came through, like threw them a fucking party. Like they were they were like the biggest heroes of their time. And then after a party, they finally get to Jefferson, and they like sit down in the room, and they're like, "Here's what we found." And all the historians are nerding out like, I can't imagine. Here, here's the, them talking about it. Great to hear from them. What it was that they had uh, seen. Congress awarded the men double pay and 320 acres of land for their services. The captains got 1,600 acres. Finally, Lewis reported personally to the president who had sent him across the continent. Unfortunately, we have no record of their first meeting. Neither Lewis nor Jefferson ever wrote about it. We do know they got down on their hands and knees with Clark's map in the Oval Office. Oh, what a moment that must have been for Jefferson. You'd like to imagine Lewis saying, in, in, in here's where we saw 10,000 buffalo, and over here where the grizzly bears chased us off a riverbank. And then he would have had to get to this point where he said, and you remember that little half-day portage that we were all expecting to find? Well, sir, Mr. President, it's a couple of hundred miles of impenetrable mountains. There isn't an easy water route across our continent. That had to be a shock and a disappointment to Jefferson. But at the same time, as a scientist and as a man of the Enlightenment, on the other hand, he's got all this other information, and uh, I think that had to compensate for it. Jefferson was a man who could never get enough knowledge and could never get enough information. Meriwether Lewis brought him at that first meeting more new information and more knowledge than he ever got in his life in one brief period like that. And there's no record of it. Oh, if there had been a tape recorder in the Oval Office. Yeah, so that's basically it. Uh, there. Imagine, like, here's this animal and this animal, and here's this, and there's that tribe we ran into there, and then we stayed with that tribe there. We picked up um, a French guy and his two uh, native wives, and they helped us out. One was pregnant the whole trip. She helped us out a lot. I'm gonna adopt her son probably. Uh, yeah. So then, and then he dropped all of our maps into the river there. This is where we ran into a waterfall. We thought it was gonna be one day. It took us like 12 days. It was crazy. Crazy journey. Like, not being able, just, like, having to, like, retell that. Jefferson was probably just like, what? He's probably jealous. But jealous. I wish I did that. That's a cool, it's, like, two hours long if you're into old man boring history docs. Check it out. I think it's on Amazon if you have Amazon Prime. Can you domesticate a prairie dog or would it just try to burrow everyone? Um, there was a guy in Dodge City that 
Dodge City Prairie Dog Joe. Was that his name? Uh, there was a guy. There's a guy in um, Dodge City who. Dodge City sold Prairie Dogs. What was his name? Like Prairie Dog Joe or Prairie Dog Jack. He would he would capture he would capture prairie dogs and he would stand right outside the train tracks and be like, "Look what I got!" Um, prairie dog Dave. And then he would sell the prairie dogs because he figured out how to trap them, and uh, so people would buy them. Then I don't know if they domestic. I don't know like what they did with them. Prairie dog Dave was his name, I believe. And then uh, people saw that he was selling and making money off selling, catching and selling prairie dogs as like cute little creatures. So then other people started undercutting his business and he moved on. Prairie Dog Dave, Dodge City, yeah. So I don't know if that answers the question. I don't think you can domesticate prairie dogs, but I, I have no, I'm sure someone would like to prove me wrong. BVD says, Boring Old Man History Documentaries is my middle name. Me too. <laughs> Me too. Um, the way we were able to track Lewis and Clark's actual path is by mercury deposits. They use mercury as medicine. It's cool. There's that one part in the Lewis and Clark journey where they come, like, to a literal, like, fork in the river. And they don't, like, they send one troop this way for a little bit and the other this way to both scout it out. And then, like, scary times. Separate, scout it out. It's crazy. Prairie dogs kill horses and cows, by the way. Whoa. No way. Real D50. No way. Can't be true. Prairie dogs are bad for a rancher. Wow, okay. Eat shit, prairie dogs. Hope you have a terrible weekend. Everyone else, hope you have a great weekend. Thank you very much for hanging out with me. I am going to hang out with the family this weekend. I'll be back Monday. I'll see you then. Appreciate you. Go enjoy Wake and Jake with Jake. I'll tell you what happened in the sports world. Now that you're finally caught up on the dude with the longest beard ever, Thurman Tucker, and why he didn't want to become a clown, and the Lewis and Clark animals they found. Now that you're caught up on that, go catch up on sports with Wake and Jake. See you later. Goodbye. But our friends will be gone away. Nothing is as it has been. And I miss your face like hell. And I guess it's just as well But I miss your face like hell